Hey, good morning. Nice to see you today. Welcome to church. Thanks for being here this summer. Um, I'm Kendall, one of the pastors and leaders here at All Peoples. Uh, Robert, our lead pastor, is on sabbatical this summer, and so we have this amazing plan to go through this soul series as we progress through the next few weeks, and just want to keep inviting you to church. Thanks for being here today. If you missed last week, uh, it was the first week of our series, The Soil of the Soul, and it's all about biblically what the soul is. might be a great thing for you to go back and listen to so you have some foundational thoughts for our summer. Before I get uh, into my message, just a quick testimony. A lot of our leaders are actually overseas right now um, doing different short-term mission work. That's something we do here at All People's Church because part of the purpose of our church is planting churches. And uh, last summer, we sent a group of people to an island in Southeast Asia. This island was uh, not known to have any gatherings of believers. It was kind of known as a harder place amongst people that go out to tell people about Jesus. You might call them missionaries. And, uh, you know, it was not a place where there was a fruitful work for God. And so our team went there for three days and they saw some great breakthrough, you know, people meeting Jesus, being healed and transformed by God. So this summer, We've had another team in that nation, and so they can't say the nation just because this is being streamed, but as they, as they got back to the nation, they found some of those original people that they have led to Jesus and had been touched by God, and there, there is now 30 groups meeting on that island from those people for discipleship. Isn't that amazing? So... You know, sometimes you're telling someone about God or even maybe you go on a short-term mission trip and you're like, what's the efficacy of this? Does this work? Or Yes, it works. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, the word of God multiplied. That's what it said in the book of Acts. And we, we love that. I um, want to start today with a story about my family. Maybe you've had this scenario in your house before. Maybe it was a roommate. In my case, it was a child. Maybe it was a spouse. Somebody in your life comes to you and they're like, this is what I've got to have for my birthday. Like, this is it. This is the present. And then you start looking for it, and you're like, this is going to be impossible. So in July, my son's birthday is in November. In July, two or three years ago, I think he was turning four or five, he starts to get locked in on this specific birthday present. He has got to have a Rudolph, in his words, soft toy, a reindeer soft toy. And he starts talking about this reindeer toy, this kind of plush stuffed animal that he knows he is going to get for his birthday. Now, it's July, birthday's in November, so a little early to be asking for a birthday present at my house. I don't know about your house, but um, so I'm kind of like trying to cool him off. We get into August, the reindeer anticipation is growing. And you know, with kids, sometimes, you know, one week they want to do this, next week they want to go to Disneyland, next week they want to bike. And so it's just, you know, you typically can kind of ride it out. That's not working. The soft toy reindeer anticipation is only increasing. So, you know, we get to September, October, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to deliver on this. Like, I'm going to have to buy my son a reindeer plush soft toy. And so I go on the internet search of all internet searches, you know, for whatever reason, like the factory that builds these things in China was closed that year or something because there's not a reindeer plush soft toy that I can find. I mean, I'm on Amazon, Walmart, walmart.com. I went into the deep web, you guys. I'm talking like bulletin boards, you know, Alibaba. Like I'm looking everywhere and I'm like on the phone with a CVS in Texas that I think I may have seen one of these at one time. Do you have any Christmas backstock? I mean, I'm desperate. Nothing is coming around for the soft toy. So we get to his birthday. He had some other stuff. 
you know, he kind of forgot about it, but he was also, he mentioned it a few times, but it wasn't like this big deal that he didn't get it. So that night we, we go to uh, dinner and he gets to pick the place. It's his birthday. So we go to this burger place and at the burger place, there's a bunch of arcade games. And so we're like, Hey, you know, uh, here's some quarters, you know, it's your birthday, play some games. And so he's playing some different games in the corner of the kind of arcade lineup is the claw game. Now, you guys know about the claw game. You know how the claw game works, right? You put in the coins, you don't get anything, and it takes your money. That's how the claw game works. Five-year-olds don't know that. And so he puts, you know, he's only got four quarters left. I mean, this thing costs a whole dollar, this, you know, game. And so he puts all the quarters in. I'm like, hey, that's it. That's all you, are you sure? You know, he puts it in. I'm already preparing my fatherly sermon on disappointment, right? You know, son, things don't always work like we think in life. We got to be good stewards of our money, blah, blah, blah. Don't gamble. You know, great life lesson. And there he is, hits the red button, thing goes in the pile of toys. All of a sudden, I mean, the music from 2001 A Space Odyssey may as well have been playing. It's a do, 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 dun, dun. I mean, out of the ashes, I see it, a brown antler. The claw comes up. It is, I mean, the specific reindeer soft toy it drops. He takes it, you know, comes back to the table. And my wife and I are like, we need to mark this moment. We are holding hands in the restaurant. God, thank you for this family miracle. You are a God of miracles. You hear all of our, you know, we're going on and on. And so I think I actually have a picture. We still have this thing. Yes, there it is. Verified, a medically verified miracle, the reindeer soft toy. But, you know, if you ask my son, hey, have you ever seen a miracle? He's not going to talk about the time God provided all this money that we needed for our family. He's not going to talk about this healing he saw on a short-term mission trip. He's going to tell you about the reindeer soft toy, birthday miracle. Well, what a unique story. Um, I had a birthday where I got a gift in my life that really touched me, and it was actually more of a spiritual thing. It was really something that God did in my heart and in my life. For my 31st birthday, I woke up, and, you know, as my daily rhythm, I got up my Bible, my coffee, you know, sitting at my counter, just asking God to speak to me. And so there I am, and, you know, it's a good idea to spend time with God especially in the morning. You never know when he's waiting with an appointment for you, right? Something when it speaks to you about your day or your life. And so there I was and, you know, had my daily Bible, but, but all of a sudden as I was praying, I felt God speak to my heart. And what I felt God saying in my heart was, I want to give you a present for your birthday today. And I thought, wow, that, this will be interesting. You know, God, you know, I've started praying about it. And of course, I've watched with God long enough. I know it's probably not like a Ferrari or a Tesla, right? Although that would be great. But um, I was thinking this is probably something more spiritual, right? Something God wants to do in my heart. And so I'm praying and I feel like God says, it's your 31st birthday, which it was. And I want to give you 31 promises for your life. So I'm ready, you know, pen and paper. And I feel God speak to my heart. They're all in the book of Ephesians. And so I turned to Ephesians chapter one, verse one, and you know, there's this greeting to the church in Ephesus, this apostle Paul writing to these believers in Ephesus and says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So I just write down, I am a saint. And then, you know, I keep reading Ephesians two and three, there's something about grace and peace. So I write down, I have grace and peace. And from Ephesians one, one to Ephesians two, 10, I wrote down 31, 31 promises regarding my identity in Christ. 
and, you know, basically what God says about us because we are in Christ. This is how God sees us because of what Jesus has done for us. And this became a big deal for me in my spiritual walk. I mean, I would daily meditate on these promises. I went through this season about a few years of God really doing a work in my heart regarding some of this truth. And it was a really powerful thing. And um, I ended up creating some resources on it. So one of, our, one of our staff members was actually going through those resources. And she was talking about Susie Pearson. She was saying, hey, I've had different seasons in my life where these important truths from the scripture have really touched me and changed me, these different truths regarding my identity. But here's what I've learned. I always need to go back to it. She said, identity is like vitamin D. Life depletes it out of you, and you need to be replenished and refilled. Identity is good for our souls. So today I want to speak to you the subject, identity. It's good for the soul. Identity is good for the soul. Will you turn to your neighbor and just say, it's good for the soul. It's going to be good for your soul this morning. Identity is good for the soul. You know, identity conversations are kind of part of the cultural era that we breathe. You turn on the news, there's all kinds of thoughts about identity. Our culture is kind of an identity in crisis. People don't know who they are. But here's really uh, the main idea today. Your life will never outgrow your identity. Your life will never outgrow your identity. Here we have this amazing promise from God, these things in the scriptures about how God sees us and what God wants to do in our life, what God wants to accomplish through us, and you know what's available to us in Christ. But we live in this world that depletes our, our, our identity, just circumstances, life circumstances, right? You kind of, life kind of has a way of hitting it out of you, you know? And then we have our own flesh, our own weaknesses, right? We start to limit ourselves because of different things we feel like we're good at or we're not good at. And then we have the devil coming against us, right? Spiritual warfare and just the reality of evil in our world. And those things just kind of sap our strength and they steal from our identity. But God has an answer to all that, and it's the power of our identity in Christ. Identity is good for the soul. So I was thinking about the Soil of the Soul series. I was asking that question, what does identity have to do with the soil? What does identity have to do with gardens or planting? And I felt like just in my heart, this, this analogy came forth of a root-bound plant. I think we had a picture of a root-bound plant right here. Anybody ever seen a plant like this? Right? This is a root-bound plant. So what happens is when you put a plant in a pot, in a container, it's kind of obvious, but the plant can only grow to the extent that the pot has available. And so the plant, though, wants to keep growing because it's a living object, right? Maybe you've had this experience where you've gone to, like, the San Diego Zoo, and you've seen all the little um, uh, name, name placards around the zoo of all the different plants that are there. And you thought, that's the same plant that I have in my yard, but it's like 20 times bigger, right? Well, it had more room to grow. And so that's, that's what plants like to do, and they like to spread out their roots. So when a plant is root-bound, when it's stuck in a container, this is what the roots do. They start to encircle around the plant, and they kind of strangle it. They strangle the life out of it. And then eventually, they go inward, which is not good for the plant. It's not good for your roots to go inward. Somebody said, hmm. And uh, the roots go inward, and the plant starts to die. So here's the problem we have in the church today. There's too many root-bound Christians. 
there's too many root-bound Christians. There's people that are bound by a smaller identity than they really have. They're bound by less. They're living with less than what God says they are. Our identity is like that container. Plants need a container. They need protection. They need something around them. Our identity is like our container. It protects us. It, it, it safeguards us, but it also governs the extent to which we can grow. And if a healthy soul is a healthy life, a healthy identity needs room to grow. Your soul needs room to grow into the fullness of your identity in Christ. Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot this morning. So you can just turn to your neighbor and say, there's room to grow. <laughs> there's room to grow. There's room to grow. We have space to grow into our amazing identity in Christ. The containers around us, however, limit our growth. Our roots get bound. We get stuck. We don't fully extend into the promises and the life that God has for us. So this is how you help a root-bound plant. This is what we do at my house, at least, maybe right or not. There may be a master gardener here that has a different opinion, which that'd be fine. But we take the plant out of its container where it's root-bound, and then we take a screwdriver, and we just rip that thing to shreds. I mean, we stick the screwdriver in there and start moving the roots around and start poking around. You can put up the plant again just because it makes for a good analogy. We put a screwdriver in there. We start scratching those roots open so they're no longer bound and turned in on themselves. Not a comfortable process for our little plant, right? Then we take it and we dig a new hole, a bigger hole, so the plant has something to grow into. Then we put healthy soil around the plant. And then over time, you take care of the plant and the plant's roots grow. The plant spreads out and there's new life. This speaks of the journey that God has us on regarding our identity in Christ. He takes us out of our limitations. He takes us out of our false beliefs. He takes us out of the lies we believe. And sometimes he has to take his holy screwdriver and he has to kind of get in there a little bit, and that's not really fun, is it? Right? Some people are nodding because they're knowing what I'm talking about. And he pinpoints those things. Hey, there's room to grow here. This root can go somewhere else. Hey, I'm going to expand you in this place. That's a little uncomfortable. And then he puts us in this new place. And here's the thing about the new place. There's room. It's bigger than where we are. And so what happens then? we got to stretch out our faith so our identity can grow. We see in the life of Abraham, he views himself a certain way. God speaks to him, says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Many nations. Abraham doesn't have kids yet. God speaks to him, plants him. He's got to expand, right? Then God calls him to this specific place and says, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. But in that place, he looks around and there's a famine in the land. Uh-oh, this is uncomfortable. My circumstances and my identity aren't matching up. But if you find yourself in a place today where you're, you're feeling a little root bound and you have some containers around your soul, I've got good news for you. God's going to break some containers today. That's going to be great. If you find yourself today, you're feeling a little out of your league, guess what? That's a great place to be because God's going to grow your faith. He's going to stretch you and there's room to grow. Identity, it's good for the soul. So today I want to look at uh, some containers that we put ourselves in that keep our identity in Christ from growing the way Jesus would have it. And we're going to look at some corresponding truths that are going to break through 
those containers. Here's the first container, the container of condemnation. Not a good container. That'll make you root bound. The container of condemnation. To be condemned means to be deserving judgment or punishment. The container of condemnation. A lot of our souls, a lot of our identities are in this container. We've all felt this pain, the pain of not being accepted, right? Maybe it was in a sports team, social club. Some people feel the acute pain of not being accepted by a family member, very painful. So we all have different ways where we feel condemned. We feel less than worthy. We feel like we don't measure up. The Cleveland Clinic, which is this kind of psychological think tank, they do studies on the human mind. And so this is what they found. In terms of our minds and our thoughts, 95% of our thoughts are repeated every day. So most of our thoughts are habitual thoughts. You know, there's that ticker tape or Twitter feed that's just running through your mind every day. Those same thoughts, you're having those thoughts every day. Out of that 95% of repetitive thoughts, for most people, now you're at church, so praise God, I'm praying this isn't you, but for most people, 80% of those are negative. So we just have this challenge of condemnation and shame and feeling like we don't measure up, that we all live in. So this is what happens. You know, we wake up, put our feet on the floor, and we're sore. Man, I gotta work out more. Oh, you know, I'm so out of shape. Okay, get up, and at my house, when I'm, when I'm having a challenging morning, this is what happened. The dog is already bugging me about going outside to use the bathroom. I'm like, Pepper, give me some space, okay? So you're dealing with your dog. Okay, then I'm going to the coffee maker, and then you're like, oh, no! I am such a moron. I didn't go buy coffee last night. This is not going to be a good morning. So we're out of coffee, right? Kids are up, getting them to school. That's what's going on in my world. You're brushing teeth, et cetera, et cetera. Driving to school. Why are my kids so loud? Are other people's kids this loud? (laughs) Like, you know, um, and then you're the only person in San Diego that can drive. Nobody else knows how, only you, right? And, you know, then as the day progresses, you know, you're kind of noticing some things about yourself that you maybe thought could look differently. Listen, it's there. The negative habitual thoughts, right? Everybody deals with them in some way, shape, or form. Here's what you need to know about your brain. Your brain is hardwired to view negative things first. It's part of the fight or flight thing that we're designed with. And so because we're, you know, need to know how to survive, we're we're looking for things to be afraid of or might be threatening to us. And, And so we have a problem here. We have a problem here. There's this daily war for our souls that we live in, the spiritual battle of life, just the emotional atmosphere that we carry. And so we have this predisposition to live in the container of condemnation but I've got great news for you. You are accepted because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Say, I am accepted. Such a powerful truth. This is what Romans 8 chapter one, Romans chapter eight, verse one says, therefore now, I love it when the Bible says now, because you're like, it's gonna happen now. (laughs) Therefore now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because of the law of spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. You see, You see, when we live in this container of condemnation, we limit our freedom. The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. But when we believe we're accepted, 
because of what Jesus has done for us, freedom is available. So I find a lot of people, and, and there may be people here today that this is actually what you think. And if, if this is what you think, God bless you. I'd love to pray with you after this service. But, but you're not a Christian, or maybe you're figuring out this God thing. And this is what you've thought. I'll come, I'll give my whole life, I'll give my whole heart to God when I clean my life up. So I just need to kind of get a few things together. This thing's going on at work, or I'm drinking too much, or whatever your issue is. And you're like, eventually, when I get it all together, then I'll come to God. That's the container of condemnation. You're looking at yourself. The amazing thing is, this is what the Bible says, Romans 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's not waiting for us to clean up our lives, right? Jesus already provided the cleaning we need by dying on the cross. So we don't have to be perfect to come to God. We, we don't have to view ourselves permanently as condemned or cast aside or reserving punishment. Sure, because of sin, everyone deserves punishment. But it's like, so what? Come to Jesus and be free. Amen? Right? That's what, that's what God has for us. And so then, even more challenging, this is what I see believers, so followers of Jesus, they sometimes think this way too. They can... They can be like, well, I'm not that good of a Christian. Or, well, I haven't done like this particular ministry program, so I'm probably not like as special as this person. Or I don't have these spiritual gifts. Or I'm not an expert in these spiritual disciplines. And, and they start to limit themselves and put themselves in that container of condemnation. Right? And the amazing thing about Ephesians, just to go back to that story that I shared about these 31 promises, is this is how the book of Ephesians starts. Just to read chapter 1, verse 1 again. Ephesians 1, 1. To the saints who are in Christ Jesus. How do you view yourself? Joel, how you doing, brother? Well, just a sinner saved by grace. Right? Devil's really big. Negative spiritual atmosphere out there, Joel. I'm doing my best, right? A, a, a lot of us look at ourselves. We look at our fallenness. We look at our past, and we limit God's ability to grow our lives. But how does God see you? Well, did you know that in the New Testament, the Bible refers to followers of Jesus Christ, everyday people, as saints 61 times? What's a saint? A saint the definition of the word is someone that is wholly set apart or consecrated. I am accepted. I'm accepted because that is who God says I am. We're not made holy or set apart or consecrated because of something we do or haven't done. We're made holy, set apart, and consecrated because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That is our identity. We are saints. We are accepted. You know, this, you know, based on your church tradition or your spiritual background, you may just struggle with this in different ways. There's some people that may say, wow, this person is very mystical or prophetic. They're, they're probably very holy. They're probably, wow, like I'm out of, you know, whoa. You know, other people who are raised in the more Catholic tradition or, or maybe just in our culture, you see, oh, there's a St. Luke, there's a St. Paul, there's a St. Mother Teresa, there's a St. Francis. Like those people were holy. Those people were set apart because of the great works that they did for God. I've got great news for you. God does want to do great works for your life, but that's not what makes you holy. Jesus makes you holy because of what he did on the cross. I'm trying to make a point here. All believers, all followers of Jesus are saints in Jesus Christ and therefore are accepted. 
the Bible does have something to say about your sin. It does have something to say if you're a follower of Jesus about your flesh. It does something to have something to say about living under the power of the devil. But praise God, I've got good news for you. It's in the past tense. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, does that mean believers don't sin? No, it believes that we have a battle for our mind about who we are. Following the course of this word, world, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the speaking of the devil, the spirit that is not working, the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, which were by, which we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Keep going. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Yes, you were a wretched sinner that had no hope or prospects. Now you are made alive in Jesus Christ. That is your identity. You are accepted. Now, I went to church today, and the pastor told me it didn't matter if I sinned. Did I say that, Jeff? No, I didn't say that, right? What I said was, being a sinner is not your identity. If you believe that, you'll never be free from sin, right? Because we never outgrow the container of our identity. But if we believe that Jesus has set us free, which is why he died on the cross, breathed his last breath and said, paid in full, right? If we believe everything was paid for by the power of Jesus dying for us, being the perfect sacrifice, then freedom is possible in every area of life. We've got to break out of that condemnation container. Amen. I don't want to be there. I want to be more than my past. I want to be exactly who God says I am. Here's another container we can get stuck in in life. The victim container. Ooh, the victim container. We don't want to be in the victim container. So many of us are tempted to believe that we are victims of our circumstances. I can think of a few people in the Bible who maybe could have thought that they were victims. Like we got David, right? And the neglected child. He could have easily thought he was a victim. And then his spiritual mentor, Saul, tries to kill him. Another way he could have thought he was a victim. But he rose above that, and God used him to lead and build a nation. I can think of Joseph, abused by his brothers, left for dead, wrongfully imprisoned, every right, every right to be offended, to be upset, to feel like God had abandoned him, but he did not believe he was a victim. Actually, at the end of his life, he said, all that that happened, God worked it for good for the salvation of many people. He became a victor in Jesus Christ. Don't believe the lie that you are a victim of your circumstances, your struggles, or your past. The truth is God has given you authority. I have authority. That's what the Bible says about us. We have authority in Christ. Here's a verse for you. Ephesians chapter 2, 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So this is what the Bible says about our identity in Christ. You know, Galatians 2.20, for example. It says we were crucified with Christ. So if we are in Christ, our old self, the sinful self, the self that was under the power of the devil and the flesh, died on the cross. So our old self died. And then we have the beauty of baptism. What does baptism represent? The old self dying, the new self, the new creation in Jesus Christ coming to life. 
So we've died with Christ. We've been resurrected with Christ. But amazingly, it doesn't stop there. What this verse teaches is we have been ascended with Christ as well. Why does that matter? Because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, verse 6, 7, and 8, he's speaking to his disciples, and then he ascends to heaven. And these are the moments when he gives his disciples an amazing job, the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus has authority, and we have authority over our identities and our lives because we are in Christ. Amen? Um, uh, uh, Two weeks ago or a few weeks ago, I just had a day where I was feeling like I was a victim of my circumstances. And there were some challenges going on, some things I was trying to figure out. And I went to sleep that night, and I had a dream. And, you know, not every dream is a dream where God speaks to us. Of course, there's pizza dreams, right? I had some pizza dreams last night. But, but hey, sometimes God breaks through and gives an amazing dream. So this was one of those nights. So in this dream, I'm in a barbershop, a real manly barbershop. It was manly, okay? So I'm in this barbershop. And you guys know the barbershop chairs, they go up and down, they're really cool. So I'm in this chair in this barbershop and it starts moving up. And I realize the chair is a throne. Hey, it's God gave me the dream, okay? So, all right. And I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I'm like in a lot better shape. And, um, and I'm dressed like a boxer. And so I've got these amazing boxing boots on. I mean, the big red gloves, you know, the black face, the whole nine yards. And then I'm wearing this big belt. And on the belt has the word contender. Wow, what a great word for me. I went to bed, feel like I was a victim of my circumstances. And I woke up with God saying, hey, I've seated you in heavenly places. Above your circumstances, you are a contender. You have what it takes. You're gonna make it through. I've equipped you. You're in fighting shape. You're battle ready. There's this, um, there's this Chinese philosophy book called The Art of War. It's really old and uh, people read it because it's one of the first examples of strategy and the military strategy specifically. And one of the principles in the book is, you've probably heard it before, it's in warfare, whoever has the highest ground always wins, right? You always want to be above your enemies. And so we see this through military history. Like, for example, in World War I, Winston Churchill gets the idea, hey, you know, uh, we're, we're fighting this ground battle. So by the time World War II goes around, the, the nation of the United Kingdom has the Royal Air Force, right, where they've conscripted all the planes and they're all flying around, getting intelligence, attacking the enemy. These days, you know, last few decades, we've had the missile defense system. And that's kind of, okay, we're getting even higher. And now we're looking at some things in space. And so whoever has the highest ground in the fight typically wins. Well, if we're seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ, what does that say about us? Right? God has given us the high ground. We have authority in Christ. We can break out of that victim container. I, uh, I enjoyed talking with this guy the other day that flies very expensive planes uh, for the Air Force for a living. And I don't know, let's say they're 100 or $200 million. And, I, and I'm, I asked him, hey, what do you do all day? You know, what do you do up there? And I'm thinking Top Gun, right? He's flying upside down. He's buzzing the tower, whatever that means, okay? And they're doing all this stuff. And he said, you know what? The plane flies itself. I pretty much just read a book. God has given us superior technology to our enemy. We have authority in Jesus Christ. Okay, here's the final container I think God wants to break today. The container of self-strength. 
some of us define ourselves not by who we aren't, but who we are and what we think we can do. Guess what? God wants to take you even further than that. Right? He wants to break our containers of self strength. We live in a world that values hustle. You know, hard work is a good thing, but there is a limit to what we can accomplish in our own strength, right? And if we limit ourselves to that, we won't see the glory of God because God comes in the gap. God comes in the faith space where we're like, hey, I can't do this on my own, but his power has been perfect in our weakness. There's this book called The Second Mountain. It's a story of uh, history of leaders and um, uh, this the kind of the formation of people throughout time. And um, it talks about the first mountain, the first mountain being the season in life kind of between zero and 30 or 35 when people are working for their identity. So they're working hard, they're building a career, they're doing something in their life. And then they reach the top of that mountain. And then they look around and they're like, is this all there is? And they realize that they've built a life out of their own strength. And then it talks about, after that, we slide right down and we go to the valley. Oh yeah, the valley was coming, you knew it. Go to the valley and there's this reckoning in the heart of, oh, this is what, able, what I was able to do. This was my identity. Then the beauty of the book is it talks about the second mountain. It's about giving identity to others and being a person of purpose and wisdom. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. But I just want to speak to you this morning and try to keep you from getting to the top of that first mountain and being disappointed because you've built a life out of your own strength and ambition. God is something so much more powerful for us. He has his anointing. Say, I am anointed. We are anointed. To be anointed means to be chosen by divine intervention. God has chosen you through divine intervention. Ephesians 2. And I want to read this verse in the Passion Translation because it so describes how God anoints us for a unique purpose in life. Ephesians 2 verse 10. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each one of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. We don't have to accomplish our purpose in life out of our self-strength. God is so concerned with you accomplishing your purpose. He dreamed up your purpose before you were born. And then it says he prepared that purpose in advance and the good works that you're going to do before you could even complete it. And then you're only going to be able to do it by his grace anyway. So God's more committed to your purpose than you are. You just got to let go and trust his strength and not your own. You have to trust his anointing that you've been chosen by divine intervention. Quick story before we close. Um, if you know a seventh to 12th grader, man, you got to get him to desert land. This is just one of the best times of the year. God is moving. Our whole staff tries to go out there for the week. I'm like, you're not even on the youth staff. They're going anyway. They want to be at desert land. And um, I, I got to speak out there a few years ago. I spoke on, I am anointed. So at the end of the talk, um, there's a young man. And this is what his, he said. This is his story. He said, he heard a voice behind him say, go pray for your friend. And turned around, nobody was there. So I thought, well, maybe that was God. I don't know. So he goes and he prays for his friend who has basically a, a bad leg injury due to sports. He prays for his friend and his friend is healed. And then God starts breaking out. People start getting healed. Amazing things start happening. This little gathering of youth. And it's just like one of those glory moments of God moving in, in young people's lives. And the amazing part of the story is what happened after. 
So, you know, with youth camp, there's that gap between, okay, we're coming home from youth camp, we're transitioning the kids, giving them back into the care of their parents, and you're just like hoping, oh, man, I hope that this powerful experience translated for them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just hoping, like, I'm hoping it, like, takes root. And, you know, his mom sees him and is like, wow, what happened to you? Like, something different happened to you this, this weekend. And, and he says, mom, you've got to know, I'm anointed. I am anointed. Isn't that amazing? You are anointed. You are accepted. You have authority. This is going to be an amazing morning as God wants to break the containers that we've put around our identity and bring his truth into our lives. Here's how we're going to respond. We're all just going to sit here for a moment. We're going to, we're going to play some music. And I'm going to read these 31 promises regarding yours and mine, regarding our identity in Christ that God gave me. And here's how you're going to respond. When it comes to be the promise that you need today, the truth that you need for your life or the thing you know God has his screwdriver on, he's trying to root out and help you grow and expand into, I just want you to stand up. I just want you to stand up when that truth is read and it's your way of saying, yeah, I'm stepping out into this, I'm walking into this and God is gonna bring this identity truth into my life this season. So I'll read these now. I am a saint. I have grace and peace. You can just stand up as God touches your heart with one of these. I'm already blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen. I'm holy and blameless before God. I'm adopted into God's family. I'm beloved by God and in the beloved of God. I'm redeemed and forgiven through his blood. I have lavishly received grace. I have a purpose. I know the mystery of God's will. I have an inheritance. I'm the praise of Christ's glory. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have a heavenly father. I have wisdom. I have revelation. I have eyes that see what God is doing. I have the hope of his calling. I have glorious riches. I have God's power working towards me. I, am, I have Christ as my head. I am in Christ's body. I've received Christ's fullness. I'm loved with the great love. I'm spiritually alive. I'm seated in heavenly places. I've received a free gift from God. I have more grace and kindness than can be measured. I'm God's workmanship. I'm created to do, do good works. I'm created to do good works. Say this with me, just out loud. This is my identity. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful identity in Christ that you've given all of us. So let's just worship one chorus just to seal this moment, Stephen.